A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm John McEnroe. I'm Bjorn Borg. This is Martina Navratilova. I'm Mats Wilander. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. And you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, hello and welcome to the Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph and with Eurosport just an hour or two after the men's singles final between Roger Federer and Marin Cilic, in which Roger Federer has won his eighth Wimbledon title, his 19th Grand Slam singles title overall, and there's no obvious sign of him stopping. You might be wondering why I am presenting this tennis podcast. It's because Catherine Whitaker is having a barbecue. So we'll just let her do that, shall we? Because I've got two wonderful guests here uh, outside the press room at Wimbledon. One of them is Simon Briggs. How are you doing, Simon? Yeah, I'm sorry we can't uh, have the A-list here, but we'll, 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 we'll do our best. <laughs> Catherine has been sending me her thoughts uh, quietly, so I'll no doubt be bringing them to you. And Charlie Eccleshare, uh, that was quite a day, wasn't it? Not the one we expected, but it was, uh, it's Federer's eighth Wimbledon, ultimately. Definitely a historic day. Uh, one will always remember for that reason. It was a pretty forgettable final, I think. Um, you know, it was one where the focus, I think, was more on Chilic and the problems that he was going through, both physically and mentally, which meant that Federer didn't really need to do anything than play to about six, seven out of ten. You know, it wasn't a performance where Federer was lights out and we were marvelling at that, I don't think. And it's a shame in a way, Sam, because at two games all, it was a good match in as much as Cilic was actually probably the better player. He was causing Federer trouble early on with the power, I think. And then, I mean, I don't know, how, how quickly did you realise there was a physical problem there? Because it went away very quickly, didn't it? Suddenly 6-3, 3-love, and Marin Cilic is sobbing into a towel. And that, I mean, that was quite, quite an upsetting moment to witness. But, but where, what were you seeing from your vantage point? Well, it's hard to tell, really, from the outside how much it was physical, how much it was mental. I mean, Chilich himself said that he hadn't really thought that he'd been giving too much away until 5-3 in the first set. Um, there was some speculation, you know, had the fall been a big factor? But I don't think it, it was so much. Um, and then, you know, suddenly he, he broke down. Um, I guess we'll think about uh, the Duchess of Gloucester... And um, who am I thinking of? Jana Novotna. Jana Novotna. Um, that, was, that was what came to mind. But, he, I mean, what we understand, and talking to Janis Bjorkman afterwards, I interviewed him, and he said after or during his match against Sam Querrey, he developed a pretty serious blister on his foot and was having issues with it. They tried everything they could to get it ready. I did hear yesterday, actually, I did hear a little rumour that that he'd been seen in the locker room and, and there was concern and 
you know, it was it was difficult to, to know how much to read into that. But once he had the, the trainer out there, I mean, he was absolutely inconsolable, wasn't he? I mean, I, I noticed you, you asked, just asked Roger Federer about his vantage point and, and, and what that did for him, because it's, it's not always an easy situation for an opponent, is it? Yeah, um, and Roger said he didn't really know what was going on. I mean, there was a clue at the end of the second set, wasn't there? A more obvious indication of what the issue was when he took his shoe off and he had the bandage around the left foot. Um, so that looked like a blister at that stage. Um, so I would have thought that although Roger said that he didn't know what was going on, he probably did twig at that point, even if he, he hadn't previously known. He said that he, because he, he hadn't really been able to work it out, it hadn't led him to make any different uh, tactical adjustments, and he hadn't tried the drop shot to make him run or anything. He just tried to not be distracted. Um, he didn't play brilliant, did he? Uh, in some ways, you felt, I don't know, did he, did he never f play in this tournament? To the same level he played in the Australian Open final? No, he, well, and I don't think he played in this tournament. I think he played throughout that tournament, certainly after the first two rounds when he'd got past the first couple there and he had the Thomas Burdick match thereafter. Federer, yeah, he was at a level higher than he was here, even though he's won this tournament without dropping a set mm. for the first time in his whole career. He hasn't been really extended. Well, that could be why he hasn't played at the level. I mean, he had that unbelievable draw. What was he, 17th seed or something? Um, in um, in Melbourne, so he had he had the ridiculous draw when he had to play against um, Nishikori, didn't he? And he had to play against Stan and, and Burditch, and it just got it just got progressively more difficult. And yet he he rose and rose, and then by the time he played Rafa, it was in, intense and immense. And, um, and the opponents here haven't been good enough to make him do that, have they? No, and I, I noticed, Charlie, there was a moment towards the end of the first set when he got the break and Marin was starting to look a little just, just rattled. The opposite was happening to Federer. Early on, Federer, I felt, was playing relatively careful tennis by his standards, and then suddenly there was a bit of a skip in his step, and he, you got the feeling he's about to turn it on here. Yeah, completely. I mean, I think every match... This fortnight has felt like a first week match for him. You know, you, you look at the intensity and the scoreline and you think, yeah, that's sort of what happens with Federer or a leading player in the first week of a slam. They kind of, they're easing through the gears. But he's done that all fortnight because he hasn't really had to do more. And today was another one. Yeah, he, he, he as soon as he got that break, he looked more comfortable. He could relax a bit and Cilic was clearly not quite there. So, yeah, he was able to just move through the gears, play to about 60, 70%. And, and that was more than enough today, and as it has been all tournament. And it's one of those weird things, isn't it? Because Cilic had a physical issue, but he also had an emotional issue out there, it's difficult to know, isn't it, how much the occasion, the, the feeling of everybody looking at him and, and him not maybe being 100% and not being able to play how he wants, whether that just might have just escalated in his, in his own mind. Yeah, I think it was unsatisfying. It feels like a, a landmark that hasn't been accompanied by a... Uh, sort of an emotional payoff in terms of the competition and the men's tournament has been disappointing overall you know, Rafa showed such amazing promise got taken out by Muller the best match for Roger was the Burditch one the, I thought he played 8.5 eight, eight out of 10 it was a good match it wasn't an epic and the women's tournament probably being the stronger of the two here even though again uh, slight uh, anti-climax in, in the second set of the final there so it's been a funny old tournament really we need to go and let you write, Simon, just quickly before you do, 19 slams. I asked Roger Federer um, whether he might still be here when he's 40, health permitting, and he didn't actually say no. Um, I mean, the, 
there's no obvious sign that he wants to stop, that he's going to stop, that he needs to stop. Yeah, I mean, why can't he win the US Open? <laughs> he could have a three-slam year and do what Novak did um, in uh, 2011 and, and 2016. 2015, 2016, wasn't it? But it's, it's beyond um, belief. And in this tournament, there was a sense that the other guys didn't maybe live up to what they needed to do against him. Whereas in the Australian Open, they did give him a, a sort of full ride. So there's an element of where are the other guys right now? Does this, this, this win now that he's 35, about to turn 36, and this renaissance over the last six months, I mean, to me, that pretty much underlines him probably as the greatest of all time. Maybe somebody will overtake him. I mean, is there any other sports person that lives up to this guy? No, but I never thought there was. I mean, I don't think that the, that the, the, the stats are the most important thing about him. For me, it's just the, the religious worship that she, he inspires in so many fans. It's, it's just seeing so many people so happy every time they come to see him. So I don't think even if Rafa beat him in the number of slams he won, I would be a Rafa man. I think I'd always be a Roger man, which will earn me the uh, no doubt thousands of, of angry tweets saying, I'm a, um, I'm a biased observer. But uh. Well, yeah, I read with interest, if you haven't read Simon's piece, uh, which references David Foster Wallace and as Roger Federer's religious experience. It, it, it's, it's well worth a read. I, I thought it was a great piece, Simon. Go and write your next one. We'll read those with interest as well. Charlie Eccleshare from The Telegraph is still here with me on The Tennis Podcast. And I should say, everybody, next week we are going to have a Roger Federer special, a one-hour special tennis podcast entitled The Roger Federer Story. Catherine and myself have sat down and, frankly, she's tried to pick away at my fading memory uh, f- from two days after Roger Federer won the Wimbledon boys title when he was 16 years of age and, and I met him for the first time two days later when he was just uh, in 1998 long time ago but we'll be, we'll be digging through the archives of my pathetic brain to try to uh, regurgitate as many anecdotes as I can and that'll be in a special tennis podcast weeks from now uh, the Roger Federer story so, Charlie Eccleshare, you heard what Simon's had to say. Um, what, what's your take on, on all of that, his status in the game and his prospects in the game? Because what strikes me sitting in the press comments in there, there seems to be no tiring of any of this at all. No, th- there isn't. I think it's one thing that the last couple of years maybe should teach us, though, is how quickly things can change in the this time a year or so ago we were talking about Novak and how he was probably in all likelihood going to take over Roger Federer's number of slams and that seemed almost not inevitability but it seemed a distinct possibility now we're thinking is Novak ever going to win another slam you know and we're sat here thinking Federer surely he's going to get 20 and then where from there it can change so quickly. Um, I definitely think, as Simon said, the US Open, Federer has to be a huge favourite for that. His opponents seem to be wilting. And, and one thing I thought, actually, just talking about that, is this Sam has the slight feel of some of Serena Williams's Sam's, where Federer's almost been a victim of being so much better than everyone else that it, it's almost seemed a little bit easy, which I think is sometimes the mistake people make when talking about Serena. They're like, oh, but there's no competition. Well, partly the reason there's no competition is because she obliterates it. And, and Federer's done that, I think, here. Um, and so I think, yeah, the US, and then you look to next year, no reason why he keep, can't keep going, but maybe... 
one of Murray or Djokovic might mount a comeback or maybe someone else might finally break through. I think that's been one of the disappointing things about this tournament. It's kind of hit home that that next gen of players that I think we so want to come through, those exciting teams, Verev, Kyrgios, who obviously was injured, just seem a long, long way from being able to really challenge. Um, yeah, they're not there yet, are they? Um, it, it is going to be interesting to see which one of them breaks out of the pack and when. I think it's also interesting that Rafa Nadal, I mean, he was devastated to lose here, but you know, we've never had a US Open final or a US Open match between Federer and Nadal. And I'd be kind of surprised if it didn't happen now. Yeah, I mean, the, the US Open crowd... They're, they're, made, they're so sick about the fact they're the only slam that's never had a Nadal-Federer match, let alone a final. Um, yeah, absolutely. Nadal, it's great that he looks fit and fresh again because this didn't have the feel of some of his other Wimbledons, the more recent ones where he's sort of limped out and looked really a shadow of, his, of himself. He had a blistering first week and then he came up against an inspired opponent in the fourth round. Yeah, he looks like the most likely person to challenge Federer in New York. And wow, a, a final between those two would be a fitting way to kind of end the Grand Slam year anyway. And I go back far enough, Charlie, to remember uh, the eve of Andy Murray's first Grand Slam final when he played against Federer in the final. I think, what, what would that have been? 2008, yes. And uh, the big ad campaign at the, the start of the US Open that year was of Don King, standing, the, the boxing promoter, standing in between Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal, pronouncing it the grapple in the apple. And these two greats and giants of the game were going to f- face each other. This was obviously after the greatest match of all time in many's people's view in the final of Wimbledon and uh, and suddenly Andy Murray wrecked the party by beating Rafael Nadal in the semis I'll never forget I, I I actually doorstep interviewed Don King after the semi-final and said you know so Don you're not going to get the match uh, that you're hoping for so how are you going to bill Andy Murray against uh, Roger Federer and he just had it off pat and he was talking about the Sean Connery of tennis and <laughs> and all this sort of stuff um, and well extraordinary moment um, that's to come I also find it quite interesting that Roger Federer, in his press conference just now, seems to be keen to play a pretty full, full schedule from here. He, he said he might not play the Canada tournament, but he, but he intends to play Cincinnati at the US Open. He intends to play Shanghai, obviously this, uh, the Labour Cup that he started. He intends to play indoors. So it seems as though he's had the breaks he needs to have for now, pretty much. Yeah, that surprised me as well. I have to say, I quite like the idea of him more or less just playing the Grand Slams. It, it, it just makes him seem even cooler and otherworldly that he's like, yeah, I'll play the Slams, win all of them, not really bother with anything else. Do you think he actually could just play the Slams and be competitive? I don't see why not. I mean, that's more or less what he's done this year, right? I mean, he played, what, Miami and Indian Wells. He played a warm-up, a couple of warm-up events for this. I, I think he's got every chance of more or less going to America, maybe playing one tournament before the US and probably winning the US. And once he's done that, I mean, what... I actually think, though, it's telling that he is wanting to play those tournaments because it suggests that his love of the game and playing is such that he's willing to do it because he doesn't need to be doing it for any other reason. I don't think he'll really care about being world number one. It'll be a great bonus. But let's say he wins the US Open. He'll have won three times out of three this year. To then keep going and be playing other tournaments 
just speaks volumes of his appetite for the game, how much he still enjoys it, still enjoys going back to all these places. I read a great stat today, actually, from Stu Fraser at the Times, who, who, who said that uh, uh, he could be world number one having played eight tournaments in a calendar year. I mean, that would be ridiculous, wasn't it? Yeah, again, it's Serena Williams-esque. You know, it, it reminds me of what she's been doing the last few years. You know, And, and maybe that, that is the model for him to aspire to, because really she, for the last few years has had this almost like a heavyweight boxer feel to her that she only really will play these really big showpiece events and yeah I mean I I think Federer could do that just as successfully it's going to be interesting isn't it it'll also be interesting to see how Marin Cilic looks back on this and is able to to deal with the disappointment um Shame for him, shame for everybody, really. But um, I, I respected the fact that he kept going till the end of the match. He didn't retire. He said he'd never retired in a match before. And, um, you know, I, I, hopefully his time will come in the future. But uh, Roger Federer, the champion, an eighth Wimbledon title, a 19th Grand Slam singles title. He will carry on to Cincinnati. We've had other great tennis today as well because uh, we've just had the mixed doubles final between... Uh, two British players involved with Heather Watson and Henri de Continent who were the, uh, the defending champions and they met Martina Hingis and Jamie Murray in the final and Jamie Murray wins 10 years after he and Yelena Jankovic got the title. Yeah, there was, a re- there was a weird symmetry. Lots of 10 and 20 years an- anniversaries. It was also 20 years after Hingis won her singles title here. We had Venus in the final 10 years ago. She was. She won it 10 years ago. We had Federer won it 10 years ago. Yeah, great for Jamie Murray to do that. I think he... Uh, it was interesting actually hearing Catherine talk about him and how he seemed a bit edgy coming to this tournament. And I'd actually interviewed him as well on the first Monday. And he did seem surprisingly uptight. And I think the pressure of coming in here as the favourite, they'd won a couple of grass court events, uh, him and Bruno Suarez. So I think that made him just feel a bit edgy. And it's great that after the disappointment of going out early in the men's, he was able to calm down, play the mixed and win it. And he looked like he was having a, a great time with Martina out there. Yeah, he did. And actually, I feel as though... Sometimes more attention, and we're included in that, needs to be given to mixed doubles because it's actually a fantastic competition, isn't it? The crowd were absolutely lapping that up, weren't they? Yeah, they were, and especially for casual players who play from time to time, that's it's a type of tennis they can identify with. You know, it's the type of tennis they might play, and it, it, it's a great. It, it's competitive enough, you know, that everyone's taking it very seriously. Really wants to win, but it, it just has a slight light-hearted element that I think is easy to get on board with. And yeah, the fans were loving it. They were. Uh, last night it was really long and tense in the doubles because uh, the uh, the doubles team of Marcelo Mello and Lucas Kubot eventually won against Oliver Marach and uh, Mate Pavic. 13-11 in the fifth set. I mean, four hours and 40 minutes. The scenes at the end of that match, Charlie, were, with the two victorious players literally on their black back on the grass. I mean, they, they could barely believe it they could barely move their opponents devastated it was a wonderful sight wasn't it unbelievable I mean to have a final that close and gone that long I mean I don't know how they were able to hold their rackets at the end both physically but also the nerves the tension of having to keep serve to stay in the match yeah amazing and um, again the the crowd certainly got their money's worth yesterday there have been some days where maybe Centercourt play finished early certainly not yesterday and then the the ultimate irony that following on to the court after that match with an 11 o'clock curfew to try to get the match in in time which looked ridiculously unlikely and it it did so because Elena Vesnina and Ekaterina Makarova won six love six love in the doubles final I mean that is pretty unheard of uh, Monica Nicolescu and, and Chang were the opponents and 
I'm, I'm told there was some sort of injury there, but also Vesnina and Makarova just said, we, just, we played the perfect match. Yeah, I can't believe as well there isn't something in the fact that waiting all day long affected Nicolescu and Sheng. Like that, it just seems too much for coincidence. They must have got ready so many times and had to stop. And I think that must have had a factor, you know, just constantly getting so uptight and ready and going through all your pre-match rituals and then being told, oh, no, it could be another half hour, it could be another hour. I mean, to lose a doubles match, love and love, takes some doing. I mean, holding service is easier in doubles. I don't think I've ever seen it before. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's more or less unheard of. And in a final as well. And as you say, with the 11 curfew looming, it was pretty perfectly timed actually it was indeed now also yesterday some wonderful scenes out on court three uh where gordon reed and and alfie hewitt were out there and they won the title the uh, wheelchair doubles for the second year in a row i mean that was another humongous battle just five minutes short of three hours i i mean if you ever get chance to see one of these matches take the opportunity i, I remember watching I was with Leon Smith once commentating on one of the, the men's singles matches and we had half an eye on, on the wheelchair doubles final. I think it was in the Australian Open and maybe at the start of this year. And, and I saw one 80-shot rally and we, we, were sort of, we couldn't concentrate on our own commentary anymore because this was just so invigorating and pulsating to watch these, these guys throwing everything into it. And, you know, Britain have got another great winning pair there, haven't they? And it's great to see because year on year it becomes more and more popular with the fans here. It's become a real highlight, I think, of this final weekend now. And you see you know, hordes of people and it's, it's, again, such a good spectator sport. Kind of like what we were talking about with the mixed doubles. It's so exciting. It's, there's such an ebb and flow to it. And, yeah, that match yesterday was epic. I mean, three sets in three hours. That's, that's going, sir. And that was followed today by Jordan Wiley, I think, winning. Isn't it a fourth yeah. title in a row? Yeah, four in a row. Incredible. I mean, there's such a pedigree that we have there. And again, she, she spoke about it in her post-match press conference, how year on year she can just feel you know, more of an affinity with the crowd. And obviously they're more familiar with her now, the, the more that she keeps on winning. And yeah, great story. Four in a row. Incredible. Now, just before we go, and we, uh, we need to go and have a lie down in a dark room, I get chance this time to say the words artificial intelligence platform. I've been waiting to say that all week long, all fortnight long, but Catherine Whitaker keeps hogging that bit of the show. Well, I'm the presenter now. She's off at her barbecue. It's apparently it's a quite an important barbecue, I'm told. Anyway, uh, they're all wearing tennis podcast T-shirts for a start, so, you know, we'll let it go. But artificial intelligence platform, the reason we're saying that is because IBM Watson have been looking to find out what makes great in a tennis player. They've been looking at all sorts of data to try to figure out the elements that go into making a truly great tennis player. We've been looking at all these various categories like passion and stamina and uh, ability to adjust during a match, serve, return, all of these factors that go into making a tennis player. And to me, Charlie, when I look at all of it now in hindsight, I mean, it almost feels too perfectly concluded because... Really, if you look at the stats, if you look at all of those factors, you could say Roger Federer for all of them, couldn't you? And, I mean, Catherine once said on this show, uh, I think it's one of the great lines, I'm glad she's not here to hear me say this, but I think it's one of the great lines of the 334 shows we've done of the Tennis Podcast. She said, trying to imagine a better player than Roger Federer is like trying to imagine a new colour. And I know what she means. Yeah, I mean, he. I, I think what summarizes that as well is that we, when I was on here earlier in the week, we were 
looking at the stats on the return of serve, again, not something you think of as Federer's forte necessarily, and of course he was the best at that as well. He is immaculate, everything. You, you try and create a prototype tennis player, you give it, first and foremost, an amazing serve that doesn't break down. You give them a great forehand, ability to volley, movement, the backhand. I mean, the fact that Federer... At 35 now, has a better backhand than he's ever had. I mean, that's unbelievable, right? The one weakness he once had. And then again, talking about the, you know, the display perfection. So he goes to the Australian Open final, plays Nadal, his nemesis, who used to kill his backhand, hit those high, horrible bouncing tops and forehands. He tries it again, and Federer nails him with those single-handed backhands. And it's just, yeah, it's amazing. His ability to adapt, in, and that's a perfect microcosm of it. Uh, I, I read a, a line today about about that was the, the thing that was the kryptonite that used to beat the Superman Federer, and and he's found an answer to it. It, it is extraordinary, but the data is out there for you to have a look at. IBM dot com forward slash Wimbledon if you'd like to have a look at the data. Go on the Telegraph website. You can read all the various articles that have been done about this. IBM Watson's findings, hashtag what makes great is, uh, is where you need to go and debate it, argue with it, do whatever you like because that's what it's all about. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. This edition of the Tennis Podcast is sponsored by Tennis Channel, and Tennis Channel Plus is the place to watch the French Open. They've got every court live, and you can watch on your phone or on your smart TV in HD. Sounds great. There's genuinely nothing I like more than watching multiple courts with matches everywhere. And can I just sit and watch court shows in Longland all day? You sure can, David. Wherever the stories are, the rivalries emerge and the generations clash, you can watch it all with daily live coverage beginning on Monday, May the 20th. Be there when it happens by subscribing to Tennis Channel Plus to stream daily coverage of Roland Garros. Use promo code TENNISPOD20 for 20% off your annual subscription. Charlie, how has uh, this Wimbledon been for you? I mean, I feel... Then actually, it needed a final here, a great final, to just 
make it a truly memorable Wimbledon. I think it is me- it'll be memorable in as much as Roger Federer took the main title, but I don't feel it's one of the great Wimbledons. I mean, nothing you can do. This is the way it goes sometimes, but it doesn't feel like one of the, the truly great Wimbledons. No, I think on the men's side especially, it has been a little bit disappointing. We had those 10 mid-match withdrawals. We had... Djokovic and Murray going out with you know their physical ailments on the same day. We haven't had many really defining matches. I mean, Muller Nadal was great; that was memorable. So on the men's side, a bit disappointing. The women's side has been good again, but maybe not great. And I think the women's tournament was almost summarised by the final yesterday because you had this first set, and I think everyone watching that was thinking this could be one of the great finals. I mean, that first set was fantastic; it had everything, and then the second set was such a damp squib that it kind of it felt like a bit of a letdown somehow. Um, you know, great that Muguruza winning her first Wimbledon. You know, that was great to see. Again, there was, I'm sure for some people, slight disappointment. That v- Do you think she can go on from here? I mean, we've probably asked you this question. We've certainly discussed it. After her first Grand Slam final appearance, her first French Open title win, a big, big breakthrough in that regard. But, I mean, you know, is, is, do you think that, the, that it might happen and that she might end up dominating this sport? She definitely has the tools. Um, I think that the issue, there have been a lot of women players who've come through and, we, and they've won one slam and we've thought, yep, yeah, this could be it, this could be the, the breakthrough star and then they haven't really kicked on. And, and Muguruza herself looked like being that player after winning the French Open last year and then having a pretty wretched year. I hope that this one just reminds her how much she loves winning Grand Slam titles. You know, she's now won her second one. And if she can, the question I think for her is that motivation. You know, can she dig in week in, week out, and not just turn it on for the occasional tournament? If she has that that focus and that intensity, no reason why not. She's got all the shots. Great personality. She could be great for the game. She could. It's uh, it's been enjoyable, no matter what. To 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 be able to be here to cover it on BBC Radio 5 Live to bring you daily podcasts every day here on the Tennis Podcast thanks to Charlie and to Simon obviously to Catherine and everybody else that we've been able to have on the show throughout the fortnight most of all to you for listening to us because frankly without you there's no point in doing any of this and, uh, and you've been switching on you've been letting us know that you've been enjoying the shows we're, we're really grateful for that and um, do leave us a review if you have if you haven't already left a review just, just tell people you know because we obviously want to get as many people to listen to it as, as possible so that we can grow it and, and have people taking part and, and hopefully enjoying it um, we will be back as I said next week with our Roger Federer special the Roger Federer story if you'd like to watch highlights of the victories had today at Wimbledon you can do so by watching Eurosport because the highlight show is on on Sunday night but we will be back with our Roger Federer special the Roger Federer story just a week from now but thanks for listening here at Wimbledon Even on a budget quality is non-negotiable that's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 